welcome to Cisco Champions Radio. Today we'll be talking about why hardware matters with Cisco Champion Jeff Levensailer, Senior Consulting Engineer with Presidio Network Services. He'll be talking today with Corelli Shankar, Manager of Technical Marketing, and Dan Backman, Portfolio Architect and Service Provider Networking. So starting off, Corelli and Dan, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourselves? Like you already mentioned, my name is Corelli Shankar. I am a technical marketing manager. My focus is predominantly everything to do with security on our routing platform. We are responsible for all technologies as well as uh, security solutions in our branch routing platforms, which includes the ISR 4K series, 1000, as well as the 900 series. Great, thanks. And hi, I'm Dan Backman. I work in the service provider organization, so we're representing both sides of the house here. Um, I've worked very closely with the iOS XR team uh, and a lot of the service provider routing platforms, and also now work on the service provider network automation side. So we're actually building services to actually visualize a lot of the integrity and, uh, and trustworthiness that we're going to be talking about today. Great. And Jeff, why don't you start off by telling us more about yourself and what you do? Yeah, Jeff Levensailer. I've been a champion the last three years. Um, I'm predominantly in collaboration space, but also do a little bit of development. And I think security can't be an afterthought for anything. It has to be kind of involved in everybody in the organization. So I think uh, we can all agree to that. So my first question, there's a lot of focus on the application layer nowadays with these, you know, uh, offloading of SSL and, and deep packet inspection and application layer visibility, that the whole root of the trust gets forgotten about. So hardware is assumed to be running software that it's supposed to be running. So can you tell about uh, what you're doing to mitigate that, Dan? Yeah, certainly. So um, one of the interesting things to think about is in your organization, think about how many of the security controls all actually fundamentally depend on the network. It could be anything as simple as a firewall. Firewalls have to route traffic through, or you have to route traffic through a firewall before it can apply any security controls, or even something more application layer like log delivery to a SIM system. All of these actually rely on the network to either implement some of the security controls or to be a fundamental part of it. If you were an attacker, being able to affect and influence how that network fundamentally behaves is a really powerful tool. Think about every movie where you cut the phone lines and they never hear the alarm go off. Imagine if you could do the same kind of thing for the underlying network. So this is something that's been always true. But what's more interesting now is starting to realize the level of attacks that we're seeing in the industry. And it's really attacks on platforms themselves. And we see this from all different kinds of adversaries. And it's something that whether you're an enterprise or a service provider, it's something that actually matters. So to answer your question, the way we really look on at this is that the network platforms themselves, those forwarding platforms are so fundamental to security that we need to start building in better controls and visibility so that we can not only protect against attacks on the platform, but also finally give you visibility to understand whether or not these systems have been compromised and what the integrity and trustworthiness of, the, of these systems actually is. Yeah, so this is just something I completely did not have in my top of mind, which is uh, that this root of trust for your entire network can, you know, just be assumed as being trusted. Now, what kind of things can you do with a compromised router? Well, you could have lots of fun. Well, I'll start off by saying, to your point, um, we're here to ask the questions you don't want to ask and to come up with answers for them. <laughs> <laughs> 
So we've spent a lot of time looking at this just on the service provider side. And I think everything that I talk about on the SP side is absolutely true for enterprise as well. It's just a question of aggregation. Um, think about what you're trusting the network to do. So if you were an adversary and let's say you've tapped an undersea cable and you wanted to be, be able to do some kind of surveillance on somebody, well, wouldn't it be great if you had access to a network as an asset and start to steer traffic from somebody you care about over a link that you've tapped. That's a really simple example. Uh, the other example that you'll see more often in enterprise environments as well is start thinking about all those network services that you depend on. If you control the network, it's ridiculously easy to start injecting a VIP. So start thinking about things like DNS. We're starting to see TLS on top of DNS to protect against attacks like this, but most DNS today is still unencrypted and largely unverified. Imagine how much fun you could have if you inject VIPs for 8888 or 8844 or 1111 and not only start doing surveillance on what queries are happening, but actually start to re return the wrong answers. The last one is an enterprise example. It's my favorite one for why the network integrity matters, which is what's the easiest way to steal an SSH password? You inject a VIP, impersonate that device, and wait for the first person to try to SSH into it. They'll immediately see that the key has changed and delete the key and accept the new one, and then you can capture their password. This is how adversaries do it every day. Yep, so man-in-the-middle attacks, uh, BGP, uh, injecting routes to other, and now we're talking about geopolitical you know, implications. You can, you can see where we're going here. You can direct traffic of an entire country and kind of offload that and see what's going on. And the one thing that I had thought about back in the day, if you have access to a system, you could do a lot of bad with it. But I think the, the worst is having a farm of own devices just sitting around waiting. So I, I was touching my nose to say you hit the nail on the head. And I think the way that we think of this is what attackers these days are trying to do is not... It, it, it's not just that people want to break in. That's very much an enterprise thing. Usually, many enterprise attacks are kind of a hit and run. You break in, you exfil the data, and you're done. What's different about attacks on the network is that they're trying to turn your network into their asset, which means they are looking for a long-term footprint, which means they want to break in, they want to be able to come back, and they want to avoid detection, which is why it's so important to think about these integrity and visibility controls on these systems. Yeah, so sort of like the, what is it, deep blue? with the Microsoft system that it was held on to for years and years just to have a backdoor. Well, that's software and you always kind of think that software is insecure and that, you know, there's a lot combating that, but hardware, you always kind of take advantage of being trusted. Uh, so we, we're seeing a lot of routers. You, you said you were on the XR team uh, moving from iOS to Linux base. What kind of differences is that? Uh, advantages, disadvantages to running an open source piece of software on a piece of hardware? Uh, there's two ways to answer the question. Um, in general, what you see in moving to a more general purpose OS is you get to leverage a lot of code that is open source, uh, and then you get to add a lot of functionality to that. Um, open source from a security point of view is actually very good because the more eyes you have looking at the code, the more secure it is and the more deployment you have. Um, the downside of it is it's highly flexible, which means that it's harder to tell what the right answer is in terms of what should be running on there. So it's definitely some of the things that we've been working very hard on finding very good solutions for, at least in the, in the SP space, where we have a very flexible operating system. Cool. So every manufacturer is going to have these incidents, vulnerabilities that show up. What is Cisco doing to be transparent and informative about 
uh, some of these things. That's to you. It is absolutely Cisco P-Cert. What uh, customers can do is subscribe to our P-Cert advisories. And uh, as soon as we identify, Cisco is very stern on being transparent. And we will put out P-Cert advisories that they can subscribe to, which will automatically notify them of any vulnerability that um, that the public needs to be aware of. So that's the best source of um, and notification. It's, it's that ranked too, right? To. Different types of severity. So absolutely, some, yes. Obviously, like heart bleed, you, you want to get those out. Absolutely. Um, security is sort of a moving target, and software on routers hasn't been traditionally something that gets updated on a regular basis. Say, like a Windows server that gets patched, and it's so easy to just go in there and click next and, and update the operating system. So uh, I guess maybe that's just a habit, uh, but what kind of tools are out there? What recommendations uh, do you have for keeping uh, hardware up to date? The software that's running on the hardware up to date. Software running on the hardware. Follow the PCERT advisories, and if there is something that you need to update the router, most of our customers, they are reluctant to reload the router. So now we have patch management. Right. We can update patches for high severity uh, defects such as a PCERT vulnerability without having to reload the router. Take advantage of that. And we also publish those fixes on CCO and specifically it does identify the defect ID with the CSC, whatever the rest of the digits are, and make sure that has the fix for it. And if you download that, there is no reason to, there's no need to reload the router and you can still get the fix for it. Just keep keep in touch with Cisco, subscribe to the PCERT um, uh, releases, advisories that we put out and keep your routers up to date. Yep. I was happy to see the PCERT had an API, so we created a little WebEx Teams bot to go exactly. uh, give yes. you an alert when something is relevant to you. So you can subscribe to different kinds of alerts, different severity levels and, and whatnot. So you mentioned something earlier that I think is important to, to hit on, and that is looking at this in a software and a hardware point of view. So it's very easy to see this just as a software point of view. One of the important things, especially as we start looking at trustworthy systems, is realizing that hardware actually matters here as well. There is a fundamental truth in trustworthy systems, which is there is no piece of software that you can write that can make untrustworthy hardware trustworthy. Hardware ultimately executes instructions from the operating system. So it's always important, just as, uh, as we talked about, to keep up to date on the OS software. But now what we're seeing is that there's another plane of security, which is really starting to establish the integrity in the hardware, being able to verify that and using that to actually create a chain of trust from the hardware all the way up to that operating system. Uh, one of the one of the and I think this is one of the things that we definitely want to dig into a little bit more with our customers is this is something that happens in most platforms invisibly, but the fact that it's there is critically important because if you start looking at what really advanced attacks will do, they'll try to enter a router through a software vulnerability, but what they're really trying to do is modify that system. Think about how many of the security controls in any operating system are based on the kernel. What happens if you can compromise the kernel? What happens if you can get it to boot a modified version of that operating system? These are the types of things you don't really want to think about as an operator of a network or anybody running any type of production system. 
But they are, unfortunately, these days, the types of things you have to think about. And one of the things that we as a vendor think is particularly important is starting to build in controls to the platform that can actually root that security much deeper into the platform all the way down into hardware. This is something we call a hardware-anchored secure boot that's in the platforms, both from the service provider and the enterprise systems. So this is the, the trust anchor module. Okay, so this takes it a level further than, say, a UEFI boot, which if you control the BIOS, you control what can be installed on it, you control what OS is on there, what software is installed. So uh, from a level below that, you're talking uh, at the chip level. Absolutely. And let's, <clears throat> just for the audience, it might be worth going through sort of what is UEFI and where is it used today? I know we were talking about this earlier, where you'd run into an experience with a Windows laptop and you tried to load Linux and it said, sorry. <laughs> um, that's actually an example of a security control that's unfortunately annoying, but it's working as advertised. Um, if you depend on that machine to only run an authorized copy of Windows, for instance, um, you wouldn't do it on a laptop, but let's say that was a server and that was your Active Directory domain controller it's going to be very important to you that people have not cracked the operating system when you're running something as critical as AD. So what you've seen is on the application side, people have started looking at how do we make sure that we have controls against modifying the kernel. And that's what we see from UEFI Secure Boot. And just as you mentioned, that's the actual BIOS of the system measuring the kernel and the operating system. And if the measurement and the digital signature doesn't match, it won't boot. Well, this is something that we've definitely seen on the application side. Actually, UEFI Secure Boot is something that Microsoft was working very heavily on promoting. In fact, to, to this day, you need to get them to sign your keys in UEFI land. Uh, but there's an interesting question, which is what happens if you don't trust the BIOS anymore? Now, this sounds like science fiction, but one of the things we saw last year was it was originally something that was demonstrated at Black Hat and it was generally sort of a, it, hey, academic researchers can do this. But last year for the first time, we actually saw that there were documented cases out in the wild of UEFI BIOS attacks. So the question is, if you have adversaries that are trying to go to this level, how do you protect it? And the answer is you want to go further down, even underneath the BIOS. And that's exactly what this hardware anchored secure boot is. It actually means that you start that verification in hardware. And that's something that's present in the existing routing platforms that we ship. It's actually a common technology that's deployed by a group called the Security and Trust Organization inside of Cisco. And we as different business units take advantage of that technology to create a much more secure platform. Exactly. It's um, nothing but um, uh, X519 certificate that is engraved in the chip upon manufacturing. What it is is a SUDI certificate. What is SUDI? It is securing UDI. What is UDI? It's a unique device identifier. When you do a show license UDI, the output that you see has the serial number of the device and the PID, what that is, what model router that is. So that combination of the two is the UDI. When you secure that with the Cisco private key, that becomes the SUDI certificate that we put on a ship when we manufacture the device and ship it out. So when the device comes up, we have the um, public key on the box and which is used to decrypt this. When we decrypt it, we get the serial number and the PID. So we compare that with what is on the device. So if these two match, then that is Cisco authentic hardware. And I think you bring up a really interesting point with the SUDI. This is something that you get as part of this TAM hardware. And by the way, it's not just per, per router, it's actually per line card. Every RP, yep. every line card that you have, exactly. some fabric cards actually have this. And 
from Cisco's point of view, this is a powerful way for us to understand that it's not just that it's Cisco genuine, but we also encode the serial number in the PID as part of that, which is really powerful because if somebody's trying to modify a module, let, let's say they go in the lab, they want that one module to look like another one, you can try to reprogram the EEPROM sometimes. This is a way of actually verifying that. But this is a question where it makes a lot of sense why Cisco would care about whether it's authentic. I think the important thing to also think about is we've talked a lot about why security controls like Secure Boot are interesting. What we as, as product organizations also want to do is can we leverage these so that we can help our customers get better operational benefit from this as well. And Sudi is a great example. Imagine that you have thousands of routers deployed in your network. How do you know for a fact which router is which? Well, what Sudi also represents is it's a unique digital identity that you can actually query. It can sign something and include this certificate and actually prove the identity of that device. So one of the things that I know we're spending a lot of time thinking about, and I know you guys have a lot of great intellectual property here as well, is starting to use things like Sudi for unique hardware identification and authorization for things like zero touch deployment exactly. or other types of applications like that. So I think it's important for us just as people who build product, every one of these technologies that we have has security value, but we can also start to create some real operational value with some of these components. Uh, Sudi is, is sort of low hanging fruit. It's a great way to authenticate a device. All you need is a challenge response protocol and you can sign it. There's interesting questions. Which Sudi key do you sign it with, by the way? So when you start building technologies on this, it, you have to ask some really interesting questions about what a modular device is and how you identify it. But the other thing that you get inside of this TAM module is it's also a, a hardware key store. So one of the things that I know that we're spending a lot of time on, and I know that I've worked with some of the folks on your team as well on this, is how do we leverage technology inside of this TAM to create sort of a secure enclave for storing secrets inside of a router? Think of that router that's deployed in somebody's basement. As you look through the config of a router, how many secret keys are in there? Like every router, routing protocol adjacency password exactly. is in there, right. user accounts. Um, the really fun one is MacSec pre-shared keys. That's one you absolutely care about. Uh, it's private keys for certificates that are on the device. There's a lot of secrets in a router. And right now, a lot of those are actually stored in the config. So one of the things we can do is start to leverage the services of this TAM module and create things like secure enclaves for storing secrets inside. One of the things that we've started doing on the service provider side is double down on something called type six encryption. And type six is a very secure way of storing secrets in the config. And this is something where the key that encrypts all these secrets is actually stored in a hybrid TAM secure storage, which is locked to the actual hardware modular. Some really powerful things we can do. But ultimately, every one of the things that we see from these trusted platform capabilities, we think should also turn into some real operational capabilities for our customers. Before all of this, you could get a running config from my customer box and be able to tell what password was that enabled password enabled secret. And now with the type six that uh, Dan is talking about, it is very hard. Yeah, everybody knows type seven. There's a exactly you know go online, go online exactly yeah. and copy that copy and paste that'll give you what the password is. I remember when I was uh, studying for my CCIE lab, and I got a bunch of equipment used on eBay, and one of them came from a very large retail manufacturer, and it had a running config on there that had some password seven. So. Uh, obviously, this is something that's interesting to a lot of people, bring a lot of value, and it's it's easy. It's not 
some complex process is just a different mechanism for doing something. So we, we talked about secure key store. Uh, we briefly touched on zero touch provisioning. Uh, can you tell us a little about a little bit about that? Yes, absolutely. Our latest acquisition is uh, Viptela. We uh, brought in SD-WAN with Viptela's acquisition, and we have stacked a full security stack on top of that to give SD-WAN security as a whole solution. Viptela supported zero-touch provisioning. The way we do zero-touch provisioning today is if you are a partner, you purchase equipment for your customers. So when you put in an order via Cisco Commerce Workplace, when you do that, you associate either your smart account or your virtual account, either yours or your customers. When you put in that account, what happens is all of the equipment that you purchase for the customer or you, it gets populated on the plug and play portal. So you log into software.cisco.com with the smart account or virtual account on the portal, you will see the list of equipment that you purchased with the serial number and the PID. Now in there, there is an option to program the V-Bond, which is one of the controllers of our Viptel acquisition that builds this SD-WAN fabric, which is V-Bond. Now, what happens is V-Manage is our single pane of glass with the Viptel acquisition, the SD-WAN. The vManage has an option to sync the smart account. When you do that from vManage, this plug and play portal sends the entire list of the hardware equipment that you purchased. Now vManage sends that entire list to vBond. Now you have all of these equipment that you purchased shipped out to any remote location in the globe. All the device needs is internet access and DNS resolution. It will call home to devicehelper.cisco.com. And there, we will send them which VBond that WAN Edge has to communicate to. Now, when this WAN Edge talks to the VBond, VBond already has the list from vManage. So it's gonna cross check when the device comes up we talked about Trust Anchor module, hardware authenticating to make sure it is Cisco authentic hardware. And that is zero touch provisioning. Now the WAN Edge talks to VBond and it double checks to make sure that the serial number that it has on its list is what is talking to it. Once it is able to verify and validate it is an authorized WAN Edge, it opens the door and says, okay, my check is done. You can talk to vManage and vSmart. And now vManage pushes the configuration to the device and it all happens zero touch. Day zero, the device comes up and it's part of our SD-WAN fabric. So that's, that's really great. That's bringing convenience and security together because now you have this supply chain going directly to that branch office yes. without going to some staging facility beforehand and touching exactly, hands with a bunch of people. Yes. So that's actually gonna bring value as well as security, which is don't always go hand in hand uh, with convenience and security. Yes, you don't need any security expertise at that branch location besides an administrative assistant to be able to plug in the device to the internet. And for that, you don't need any special expertise at all in 
that's where the zero touch provisioning and hardware authentication and making sure that this device is a, an authorized device to be part of the SD-WAN fabric. And you're actually uh, talking on this uh, Thursday, 1030 to 12, Branch Router Security. That's B-R-K-S-E-C. 2342. Yes, that is my session. Yes, it is a 90-minute session. Please join me. We'll go over the entire stack of security features that we can deploy on our routing platforms. Uh, that's it. Um... All right. Well, thank you all very much. This has been another great episode of Cisco Champions Radio. I want to thank all of you very much for joining us today. And thank you especially to Corelli and Dan for sharing your expertise and Jeff for, for hosting this session for us. Um, you all can tune in and listen to this episode and other episodes on iTunes and on cisco.com slash go slash CCR. I'm Leslie Van Zee, and I'm with the product marketing here at Cisco, and it's been a pleasure talking with you today. Thank you. Thank you, Leslie and Jeff. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you.